Welcome to episode three of Coral, Kelp, and Community. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Missy Lauren, an amazing environmental lawyer who currently sits on the board of the Earth Law Center. And she is working on a very important case that emphasizes the connections between legacy forests and orca whales. How do you say the name of that river? Elke River? The Elwa. The Elwa. Okay. I realize very quickly that I don't know how to pronounce a lot of words because I only see them written. <laughs> like, just being a, like a total nerd, I'm just like, oh, I've never actually heard these things spoken before. So Elwa. Elwa, and it means elk. Oh, nice. Okay. And that's the word that that's the name of elk in the lower Elwa Klallam tribe language. Nice. Okay. All right. And you are an expert in the Elwa River case currently. Well, I'm trying to become an expert. (laughs) I first learned about the case in April from Elizabeth Dunn, who's our chief legal counsel for the Earth Law Center, and she lives in the Elwha watershed. Since I met her, um, since I came to the Earth Law Center, she's been talking to me about the situation of legacy forests all over the Pacific Northwest and saying, how can we start to focus on this issue at the Earth Law Center? What can we do? Who do we know? Who do we know in Washington and Oregon and California who can form a coalition and And then lo and behold, the state of Washington starts expediting legacy forest logging right in the town where Ellie lives. And so she's on the ground firsthand watching the acceleration of logging of legacy forest. And so when she brought this case to us and said, you know, what can we do? Um, we went. I went to our board, and our board agreed to be the plaintiff in a case against Washington State to try and start some precedent. Hmm. And so we filed um, June thirtieth of this year. Wow. Okay, that's really recent. Yes. Yeah. So my expertise <laughs> is <laughs> rapidly increasing because we're a plaintiff and. Things are happening and we're doing press and we filed an injunction and yeah. the case is pretty rapidly through the courts. Okay, so um, what exactly is a legacy forest and why is it important? So basically when the state of Washington um, was created, the federal government gave the state of Washington 2 million acres of land to manage. 1.4 million of those acres were um, forested. And so the state gets to basically log their property if they so choose or mine it. They're entrusted to manage that property for the benefit of state residents. And so So like the public trust doctrine type of thing. Well, yes. So it's a a state trust. 
and it goes to pay for schools and um, libraries, <laughs> fire departments. And, but what happened was, you know, all the old growth is basically logged and a legacy forest is the second generation of trees. Because back in the olden days in the 1800s and early 1900s, they logged differently than they do now. And so after they logged an old growth forest, the genetic lineage of the plants and the trees was still in the ground. And what grew back 60 to 100 years later is a complex forest like what existed in the olden days. And so you've got these trees that are 100 years old, and when you walk in them, they feel like you're in an old, old forest. There's moss, there's wood on the forest floor, there's a lot of biodiversity, and the canopy is like complex. To my understanding, forests are important for water quality and for the rivers to be, um, you know, the right temperature and to to prevent erosion of riverbanks and all of that kind of thing, right? That's exactly right. And they draw down carbon. Of course, yes, the big one, the ever-looming issue of climate change. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and- Well, yeah. Yeah, and, and so these, these legacy forests in Washington, um, they're critical to the salmon and to the orca that live there that only eat salmon. That's right. Okay. And this is, they're part of the southern resident population, right? Well, that, there's... There's a variety of orcas that live in the Salish Sea, mm -hmm. but there's one population in particular that's critically endangered, the southern residents, meaning their range is pretty tight to that area. They go up to British Columbia and they might be as far down as Monterey, but um, they basically hang out and summer in the Salish Sea, right at the mouth of the Elwha and in that vicinity. Okay. And... This population, there's 73 left now? Mm hmm So they would be called a clan in that they're basically a family. 73 left. They're a matriarchal culture of <laughs> marine mammals. Mm -hmm. And the children stay with the mothers and grandmothers and are taught to hunt and communicate by the grandmothers. I'm massively in love with Orca. And the more I have learned about them over the years, like the evidence of their social structure and emotional intelligence, and you know, their tight knit family groups, um, up to four generations living together. It's just like, it's really amazing. Like they have a whole culture and different species of orca or subspecies, I guess. I guess we're, the scientists are still waiting to completely say that they've differentiated to a certain scientific level, but they have like different dialects, different calls to each other and clicks and different hunting techniques for different prey and different territories. And it's just 
really amazing but these 73 that are left in this of this one particular type uh you know their numbers are still declining even though they're protected under the marine mammal protection act and they've been listed on the endangered species act in 2005 which is a long time ago <laughs> now um and they became kind of famous when there was news coverage of, and I'm hoping I say this correctly, Taliqua, an orca who gave birth to a calf, and that calf lived for only 30 minutes, but she carried its body for 17 days. And this was after three years of unsuccessful births in the pod. And yeah, they're really in some dire straits now. So what what is the earth law centered doing like like what's the Iliwa river case like there's rights of nature involved how is it going to impact the threats these orca are facing um what like what's what's the goal give me the scoop <laughs> all right well before i start it's sure. important to give a shout out to ken balcombe he was mm -hmm. the scientist that put these southern residents on the map for decades he was out in his inflatable, photographing, cataloging, identifying by name and markings every single orca in this special pod and tracking them. And so we didn't really know that much about orcas until Ken went out into the field and he did this back in 1976. And so the Center for Whale Research that Ken Balcombe founded is a co-plaintiff with the Earth Law Center, along with Keystone Species Alliance in suing the state of Washington. And part of the reason why, you know, the Center for Whale Research joined the case is because they have a very strong um, case of standing. Because what they did is they acquired property on either side of the Elwha River in a prime salmon spawning habitat. And that's where their headquarters are based. And so they are able to make sure that the spawning habitat stays healthy and intact. And so basically we filed a case under the State Environmental Policy Act in June, saying that the state didn't meet its obligations under SEPA when they identified this parcel of legacy forest to be clear cut. Oh, one of my least favorite words, clear cut. Um, yeah. And so in my experience thus far as a, as a baby lawyer, <laughs> standing is usually the hardest um, legal obstacle to overcome for environmental suits. Uh, can you explain a little bit why the standing element is so important and how um, it has been achieved in this case? 
Definitely. So standing was put on the map um, by the Sierra Club around 50 years ago. And the question was whether or not trees had a right to defend themselves in court, basically, should trees have standing. And the Earth Law Center has been working on expanding standing through our legal system ever since we started in 2008. And so the rights of nature movement is basically to give a voice to nature in our legal system. And that's what we do. And um, so in the state of Washington, it's obviously an important hurdle for any plaintiff in a case to be able to meet standing requirements. But luckily in the state of Washington under SEPA, it's not a huge hurdle to overcome. And so as of now, our standing isn't being questioned. And um, so the case is moving forward. I've seen in the news recently that the rights of nature has been getting uh, quite a bit of traction in Washington. For example, in December 2022, the Port of Townsend uh, proclaimed a resolution that the Southern resident orcas have legal rights. Um, and that was that made it the first U.S. city council to create such a recognition. And the rights of the orca include, but, but are not limited to, the right to life, autonomy, culture, free and safe passage, adequate food supply from naturally occurring sources, and freedom from conditions causing physical, emotional, or mental harm, including a habitat degraded by noise, pollution, and contamination. Um, and I think that the adequate food supply from naturally occurring sources is is maybe what the the case you're working on is focused on because of the salmon in the river. That's exactly right. You know, when you talked about the mortality of that baby orca, basically the orcas are starving to death. And this population is unique because they don't feed on marine mammals like other orcas do. They only eat fish. And their preferred fish is a Chinook salmon. And the reason why they prefer them is because they're the biggest, fattiest of all mm -hmm. the salmon fish. And so they get a lot of bang for their buck when they can catch one. A Chinook salmon could be as big as 100 pounds. Obviously, now the Chinook are not that big, and it would, it would be very rare to see one that big. And so the orcas have to work a lot harder to, to find salmon. And um, they're smaller fish. So it stresses them, and that's why there's so much infant mortality. But to your point about Port Townsend and its leadership, I myself had to go to Port Townsend to see that town for myself. Um, and I was just out there to, to look at this legacy forest firsthand and to go out into the field and see what these trees looked like and to go out onto the river. And I was... I was so struck by these amazing towns all over the state of Washington that have actually voted in um, a declaration or a resolution expressing their support for uh, the rights of orcas within their state. And as soon as there's a critical mass of towns and counties that vote for that, a resolution is going to be introduced in the state of Washington. That is really exciting. I mean, that's 
that is the, I don't want to say slow progress, but that is, that is the progress of how countries get to redesign their legal systems and that, it, you know, it takes, it takes the first bold move by like a town or a city to get that momentum building. And it's really exciting to hear that happening. It's really exciting. And in fact, that draft resolution is sitting on my desktop because oh, Elizabeth Dunn has been working on it. And Kevin Schneider, both, you know, members of the Earth Law Center team, along with other partners in the state of Washington who are all working on this campaign. And so it's just really exciting to see it and work with whatever legislature legislators are brave enough to introduce this resolution. And we do have uh, legislators in the state who are committed. But I also wanted to give a shout out to Governor Jay Inslee, because along with Kel Ken Balcom, they work together to um, build an ORCA recovery task force. And this team came up with 49 resolutions to protect the Southern residents. And one of them is to protect the ecosystems on which they depend. That's critical because if they don't have their food or their habitat or, you know, all of the things that make up their ecosystem, then protecting them as individuals isn't going to be very effective. <laughs> um, That's right. That's right. And, you know, there is the Endangered Species Act in place that should be saving these Southern residents, but it's not. Their numbers are declining. And so the link, the interconnected link between a legacy forest and an orca could be perceived as tenuous, even though it's not. Even though, you know, the biology of the food web, scientists understand we have yet to educate the public on the food web and the courts. And so that's what this movement is all about, is to show how these forests are so critical for the survival of this species and other species in the watershed. It's really remarkable how, how connected things are. And I think it's easy for people to forget that because we often either feel disconnected or think we are not part of nature. And so and like traditionally there's been, at least in Western cultures, this mentality of siloing na the natural part of the world in terms of like this resource and that resource, but without seeing how they're all connected, like forests and orca. And, you know, orca are an apex predator. So if their numbers decline, that's gonna dramatic that's gonna have dramatic effects on the populations of other species that are there and change the entire ecosystem. And we don't know what will happen. And we've seen it in other parts of the world. Um, and usually it's not good, <laughs> um, even, for, even for people, because we depend on this ecosystem to be healthy. Um, and when you have an apex predator shift, all the populations below it shift and it's just, it can cause a lot of chaos. And, you know, that's part of the reason why Keystone Species Alliance joined as a co-plaintiff in this case to educate the public, not only about apex predators, but about keystone species and their important link in ecosystems. Because salmon are a 
key keystone species in the entire Pacific Northwest. They're like a vitamin pill for the forest. Oh, yeah. I can't remember where I saw this study, but I thought it was so cool. I think it may have actually been a placard in a park that I was in, but it was talking about how you can find like uh, evidence of salmon in the soil, in the trees, uh, and obviously in their direct predators like bears and birds of prey and orca, but like the salmon, they they are nutrients essentially moving around the ecosystem. And like you said, being a vitamin pill and keeping things fertile and lush. Mm -hmm. um, so, so check out this salmon statistic for the Elwha. Yeah. The Elwha was put on the map. This river was put on the map because for a hundred years, there have been two dams and the federal government made the decision um, after, you know, the community groups worked on them for quite a while to literally take down these dams, $327 million was allocated for their dam removal and then the restoration of the river. So you have an epic 45 mile river that starts in the, in the snow finger of the Olympic Peninsula in the mountains up there in the glaciers, now running wild through the peninsula itself and emptying out into the Salish Sea. And you have this amazing story of restoration of the river and regeneration of the river. You can even go out to these dam sites. And this was no small task. It was the largest dam removal in the history of the world. One of the dams was 210 feet. Wow. The Golden Gate Bridge is 180 feet. So think about how massive this dam was. And so wow. <laughs> the reason, one of the reasons why we cannot let this forest get logged is because the logging is gonna start at the beginning of the trailhead in the little town of Port Angeles. And it literally is gonna clear cut on either side of the path to go out to see one of the dam removal sites. How do you log alongside one of the most amazing stories of regeneration on our planet that the whole world has been watching. You can go to YouTube and see time-lapse photography over the two-year period that the dams came down and is the most amazing, beautiful story. You know, school kids have been going in and replanting um, the trees <laughs> because once the river was allowed to run wild, you had all this the floodplain that then needed to be reforested. And so the whole community has been working for 10 years to reforest, restore, bring back the salmon habitat. Five species of salmon have come back into the Elwha. And, you know, in the olden days, 300,000 salmon would spawn there annually. And when the dams were built, that went down to 3,000 from 300,000 to 3,000. And so now that the dams are gone, we're seeing salmon come flooding back in. And a, a river that was 45 miles long, 30 extra miles of streams and tributaries reopened. And that's all new salmon habitat now. Wow, that is freaking fantastic.
Um, it is. <laughs> but I mean, that's just like <laughs> glorious. I, I have to go visit this. Like I've, I've been in the Pacific Northwest a lot. I lived there for eight years, but now I have to go visit this particular spot. Um, or, I went I mean, three weeks ago. Wow. I wanted to cry. It was so beautiful. These trees were majestic because there are old growth trees in this, you know, legacy forest that weren't taken in the original cut. And it's mossy. It's wet. I mean, the Pacific Northwest is the second wettest place in the United States with Hawaii being the first. Yeah, that does not surprise me having weathered eight winters there <laughs> uh yeah i'm uh yes listeners i will be putting that youtube link in the show notes to watch the time lapse of the dams coming down and um yeah i mean it just it kind of it really does blow my mind to hear this story and then of like the biggest dam removal project ever and the community coming together to regenerate this forest and to create a healthy ecosystem and to have this i mean when you do that as a community you ha you have an amazing relationship with this place and then for the state to be like cool let's just log it like that doesn't make any that doesn't make any sense to me and it makes me wonder like like these people who who are their representatives and what the hell are they thinking? Like, did they not just see all this work that happened in their state, in their backyard? It's devastating. And that's that's honestly why the Earth Law Center got involved. Not only do we want to help teach people about the interconnected nature of ecosystems and how the laws need to shift, but we want to highlight stories of regeneration because this is hope. This is hope for future generations. And I myself grew up with a story of regeneration in my backyard, the same way Ellie Dunn has this, you know, potential story in her backyard. And it was the restoration of Chrissy Field, which is basically you know, one of our nation's newest national parks. It transitioned from a military base to a national park and the army went through over a 20 year period and restored bit by bit, every single hazardous waste disposal site, cleaning it up to the level, you know, safe for humans and the environment. And when you go to Chrissy Field and you see that now it's a marshland with uh, migratory birds and, restored sand dunes and all the hazardous waste removed and you know it's a beautiful beautiful story and the park has since gone through and restored maybe 25 sites throughout the park yeah that story is gorgeous and amazing and it does i mean on on the one hand i feel like is really important to recognize that it was only 20 years. And I do mean only because a lot of times we feel like progress is very, very slow. And I, th I think maybe also, you know, not to just rag on social media, but to some extent, like we're used to a lot of instant gratification these days. And so 20 years can feel like an eternity, but on 
the scale of like ecosystem degradation and regeneration 20 years is really fast <laughs> nature yeah. will bounce back if we give it an opportunity to do so and like to see something change in less than a lifetime is well do you want to hear something crazy that happened at the alba they didn't oh, really yeah. know what was going to happen when those two dams came down they were actually really afraid what was going to happen with the sediment. 30 million tons of sediment came rushing down the river in literally two weeks. Wow. And it formed what was supposed to be the naturally occurring delta at the mouth of the river. And so the river was just desperate to heal itself. And in this dramatic you know, gesture, it formed a delta and you can walk out there and it's how a delta should look. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's absolutely the reason why I can't stand dams because like rivers are meant to flow. All of that sediment is meant to be forming deltas and beaches, you know, like all of this habitat is being stifled by dams and, you know, preventing normal cycles like salmon runs and spawning and orca eating them and yeah no that's that but that's a huge amount of sediment like I know oh my god like and that that's so great for the delta so like it, it got to live again I know it's alive it's a freely flowing wild river and to be able to go and see that for yourself. How can you walk through clear cut on your way to see this amazing story of, of regeneration? That's why this, this particular parcel especially needs to be protected. It needs to be set aside as a national park or as um, you know, a city park, a county park, a state park. And there are about 700 other legacy parcels that are right in the Elwha River watershed. And, you know, there there is a fair bit of legacy forest spread throughout the state, but this case is dedicated to highlighting how these legacy acres around the Elwha River really need heightened standard of review, separate and apart from the SEPA process that considers the fact that this is a restoration project and that the cumulative impacts of logging legacy forests haven't been considered and that's part of the case and can you uh uh not spell out but say out that acronym for listeners oh wh what the um SEPA? oh sepa the state environmental policy act yeah the standard, the standard of review for making environmental decisions, right? Yes. And, you know, the cool thing about SEPA is that in the policy section, there it, it talks about the right of future generations to have a clean environment. Well, that's a big deal, especially considering what just happened in Montana. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay, that's super exciting and sounds like 
the case then has a really strong argument to protect these legacy forests. And, you know, not only does it does it have this in its policy language, but legislatures in the state of Washington have tried for the past um, two years to introduce a Green Amendment. So a Green Amendment is what happened in Montana, Pennsylvania, and New York that allowed future generations to bring a case in court. And there's actually 11 states in our country right now that are trying to pass their own Green Amendments, with Washington being one of them. This is um, this is making me feel good about the future. <laughs> Not a lot does these days, but this sure is. You want to know something else that will make you feel optimistic is I was on the American Rivers website last night and I saw that across the United States, 1700 dams have been removed that were no longer serving their purpose. They were antiquated, you know, other types of energy are online. And so there's a movement all around the world to take down these dams. Like they're not massive, like what we had on the Elwha. Mm -hmm. But it's a movement. And I think part of what's amazing about rivers is they capture the heart and the imagination of people all over the world. In fact, the very first rights of nature were given to rivers. Back in 2016 in Colombia, in New Zealand, and in India. And that movement is spreading. Yeah, I think that rivers are such a great... Um symbol or like access point for people to really understand how connected everything is because you can literally see the river moving through the mountains, the meadows, the countryside and going to the sea and connecting all of these places and all of these different ecosystems and species and people who depend on the river and who depend on the sea. And I'm like, I'm not surprised that the, that that's where it started was with rivers. They're so magical. And, you know, one of the really exciting things about this particular um, case for us is there's a filmmaker named Tilly Walton, who in 2023, just this past year, made a series of documentary films about rivers in the United States. She's a veteran whitewater kayaking guide. She took a film crew out onto 10 rivers and then released many documentaries. And I called her up uh, two and a half, three months ago when the Earth Law Center was getting ready to file and said, Tilly, would you be willing in your next version of your series to cover the Elwha? And she said, yes. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so excited. Oh, that... you definitely have to put the link on to Tilly's site because people all over the United States can check out the Yampa River, the Snake River, the Grand Canyon, the Rogue, and, and like really experience the majesty of the rivers in the United States. I absolutely will. Um... Yeah, that is fantastic. That's going that's going in the show notes, people. Um, so, and and speaking of uh, the show notes, um, is there 
Is there anything else you want to tell us about the case before we wrap up, including like your, your ideal outcome, ideal scenario, best case scenario? Well, the best case scenario is that we would win in the court. We were not successful getting an injunction, which is typical. It is incredibly hard to get an injunction to stop a timber sale, but we 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 have a very strong case to be successful in stopping the sale because the state simply didn't follow SEPA. And the most important um, consideration that they didn't follow is they didn't acknowledge that there's streams going through the the parcel that they plan to clear cut. And what happens in an industrial logging situation is you get 50% reduction of stream flow. Um, and that's, it's really important when you have a drought, which they have in Washington, that you get low summer stream flows. And so we, we hope to win on the merits in the courts and basically set precedent on how the state should manage legacy forests and the Elwha and also legacy forests throughout the Pacific Northwest. But we, in case we, we lose, we started a crowdfunding campaign to actually replace the revenue that the, um, the local county would gain from the timber sale. And so the parcel was auctioned the starting bid was $430,000 and ended up being sold to the Murphy Company, an Oregon-based logger for about $650,000. And so we have a website, the Elwha Legacy Forest Fund, where we're literally crowdsourcing the $650,000 to replace the revenue so that the schools and the fire departments don't fall short. And, you know, that system does need to be changed where logging is not tied to social good but in the meantime we hope to replace those funds through private philanthropy and and so yeah please join that campaign please write to um the county commissioners please write to hillary franz who is the commissioner of public lands in washington state who is also running for governor and and ask her to revisit how she's managing legacy forests in her state because we really need that carbon drawdown. And the state has climate commitments that as governor, she's going to need to back up Jay Inslee's promises to reduce carbon 95% by 2050. I, it's, it's really interesting how the balance of needs, um, like logging forests being linked to social good, like clearly that doesn't in the long run, that's not going to work. And so systems need to change because, you know, what the state of Washington needs to meet its climate goals. It needs to have that CO2 drawdown from the legacy forests, but it also needs to fund its fire department and schools. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about uh, the rights of nature movement is that when you start seeing all of the different connections between human activity and our natural environment, um, eventually you start 
using those connections in a better way by asking yourself like, well, how does the ecosystem want to support us? Which is potentially my favorite question ever. Um, like what is here? What wants to be here? How, how do we live in harmony with that? Um, so yeah. Um, this, this is something that will give you hope too. A timber sale was announced the same time as the Elwha and it was in Kiggs County. It was the wishbone case. And in that case, seven out of 10 of the county commissioners said, we don't want those timber proceeds. We care about carbon more. And so that forest was taken off the chopping block. They said, Amazing. we want a different management of this land as the beneficiaries. And although we, we don't have that happening in um, our county because it's smaller and it, it is super strapped for resources. That's why we have this crowdfunding campaign to help this smaller, more struggling county. Yeah, the, making these transitions, um, you know, systemic change is hard and it takes time. And, you know, the crowdfunding campaign is a great bridge, I think, and it will be in the show notes. The reason why I, I have been directing people to our homepage is they can choose to donate to one of two things, the legal fund or the forest fund, because Ellie is doing this whole case pro bono. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So putting a little money in there for costs, her time, experts, you know, that helps hugely. She really totally. needs to hire some interns to help her research some novel legal strategies, such as asking the feds to take back the land they gave to the state. Oh, yeah. Take it back under eminent domain for climate. I, I like that idea. And we need to research it immediately. I just wonder if if the feds would actually protect it or log it, but if they're only doing it under eminent domain for climate, then in theory they can't touch it either, right? They won't be able to touch it either. And you know, Biden has expressed very strong commitments to save legacy forests. He inventoried them. So he made a commitment in 2022 on Earth Day to catalog all the old growth and legacy in the country within a year, and he did, and he released the report. So we have 18% of our old growth left. We have 30% of our legacy left on federal land. In Washington state, they have 5% of their legacy left, 4%. And so Washington the state has an egregious land management regime happening under Hillary Franz's leadership. Wow. And yeah, she's that... about, you know, to be governor. Yikes. So Washington really needs to um, take a close look at their legacy and develop new policies around it around it and especially in light of the fact that it's the the highest percent of carbon drawdown in the united states happens in the pacific northwest 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, honestly, I find that so shocking because I feel like, you know, people go to the Pacific Northwest for the woods and the mountains and like to be immersed in nature and to hear how much they're logging. It just seems so like counterproductive. Well, like, I mean, obviously, I don't know how much money they make off of tourism for that kind oh, of I thing know. versus how much they make from. Oh, you do? Oh, tell me. Outdoor recreation is 200,000 jobs in the state of Washington. They get $2.3 billion in state and local taxes from outdoor recreation. And you compare that to the couple of hundred jobs in, in these old growth mills, which is basically what they're trying to keep open is mills for these old logs, these hmm. wide logs. Wow. So even if someone only cared about money, it still makes more sense to protect the legacy forest. Oh, absolutely. Be and conserving the land actually helps the schools because it increases property tax revenue. It increases home values. So that's, you know, maybe $6 million in annual property tax revenue. Wow. And numbers don't make sense. Yeah. I think it's just like, yeah, I mean, it just has to be like these, these old mentalities that haven't like, caught up with what's happening now, not just ecologically, but also financially. Yeah. You know, I also have an amazing statistic from Washington State. They found that 72% of Washington residents participate in outdoor recreation. And the Olympic Adventure Trail, which is a 25-mile trail that starts the trailhead for this magical 25-mile Olympic Adventure Trail, they are logging on both sides of the trailhead. Who's going to want to go? Of one of the most popular trails in all of Washington State. Why? Why would they do that? Oh, my brain hurts. I mean, like, it's not even, I'm so used to like money being the answer to why people are doing bad things, <laughs> you know, like either bad things to other people or bad things to the environment, which in turn hurts people as well. But like the money isn't even there. So like, I just, it, no. it's baffling. Six hundred and fifty thousand dollars we could protect this entire parcel for six hundred and fifty thousand and what i feel like we should do is oh so check this out so microsoft was the first company in washington state to offset the carbon of its employees it's got six thousand employees it saved 520 acres on mount rainier and so I literally want to call the, you know, the eight biggest corporations in Washington state and say, please offset your, your employees carbon. And here's how you can do it. Save this forest The you know, it's called the power plant, but also the um, department of natural resources is about to name a new timber sale 
um, TCB 23 we're worried is going to get announced over Labor Day. That's also a legacy forest. And, you know, what if each company in Washington state pledged to protect all the forests in the Alwa watershed to offset their carbon? That would be rad. And at least we could set that aside. And so that's that's on my to-do list. Oh my this God, month. I love it. That's the best to-do list <laughs> ever. I'll, I'll introduce companies myself. Yeah, just like, okay, what does my to-do list say here? Ah, uh, save the world. Okay, just, let me just check off these little tasks. <laughs> uh, no, that is absolutely fantastic. And I really hope it happens because, you know, $650,000 spread out between 10 corporations is is pennies for them well 650,000 is the cost for the 125 acres in our suit so there is about 750 acres left but think about that that's what five million dollars total yeah to protect all of the legacy forest in the Elwha watershed. Yeah, and if you, you know, for people who care about return on investment, if you think about like what that will mean annually in terms of, you know, tourism and recreation and even just the fishing industry actually having fish because the salmon runs are back and their populations are increasing and the ecosystem isn't getting messed up by an apex predator shift because orca have all starved like it's just a win 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 probably more wins than we know because how the food web is so wildly connected yeah tara one thing i didn't mention and i learned about this only recently is you know the olympic mountains have glaciers up there and those glaciers have actually receded about 30% in the past mm. 30 years. And so the stream flows are drying up. And in fact, there has been water shortages in 11 counties over the past several years. And yet another one was declared while I was up there in Washington a few weeks ago. And so it really matters to keep those streams intact that run through these legacy forests because we need to feed the river. And there's a human health um, interest in this particular case too, which is another reason why the Earth Law Center sees it as very strategic is every single one of the residents in Port Angeles gets 100% of their drinking water from that Elwha River. And so when you have a water shortage how can you put any of your streams in those hillsides in jeopardy by clear cutting these parcels? And that's one of the things that the state didn't consider when they announced these timber sales and other timber sales is they're not considering hydrology. They don't have experts there. And that's why we should win in the courts. We have a really solid case. Yeah, that's um, like mind-blowingly critical. It's just water to drink <laughs> how can how can you forget that like that's yeah um wow uh well i look forward to um being updated on your inevitable success 
Thanks. Thank you. We'll definitely update um, any folks who come to our website with updates on the case. I, I mean, it just sounds like you you have to win. It's just common sense. But, but Tara, this is very urgent because the logging company has already purchased the trees. It was auctioned in July. They only have to give us two weeks notice before they literally start cutting and they could start cutting any minute. And so it is absolutely urgent that we spread the word as soon as possible that we, you know, call Commissioner Hillary Franz. Listeners, you heard about the urgency. Check out the show notes to be involved. And yeah, let's let's save a forest and an ecosystem. Absolutely. Thanks, Tara. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing information about the Elwha forest and how saving forests save orca and fight climate change and do all the good things that we need. Thanks so much, Tara. It was so great to be here. And thank you so much for, for learning about this issue and passing the information along. Thank you. Thank you.